Um, let's take our Bibles together. We're going to turn to the book of Jonah. Um, I can help you if you've got a blue Bible. It's page 1069, but I can't help you if you've got a red Bible. But let's take a moment or two. We're going to wait past Daniel, Amos, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Jonah. And we're turning to chapter 4 of the book of Jonah. And a really curious title, a really curious title. But you'll see how it unfolds and then Noel will come after another song from Hugh and a song of praise for ourselves to really look at this passage and give us our message for this evening. So we're reading in Jonah chapter 4 and we're going to read the whole chapter which runs for 11 verses. And it says there, Jonah's anger at the Lord's compassion. It makes you want to find out what's going on, doesn't it? Jonah's anger at the Lord's compassion. Reading in verse 4 it says here, But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat at a place at the east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? And there ends our evening reading. We're going to sing one more time. I think, if it's okay, can we sit and sing this one? Would that be okay? And I think we'll sing it as a prayer. It says here, be, be still for the presence of the God, uh, the Lord, the Holy One is here. It's number 50. We'll remain seated for this. And then Hugh will come and sing to us again. And then Noel will come and share God's word to us. So we're going to sing remaining seated as a prayer, really asking God to uh, quieten our hearts and to prepare us for the message that Noel will bring in a wee minute. Well, if you were with us this morning and uh, you were sharing in the service, uh, you would have known that we were looking at uh, discovering God's dream or God's plan or God's purpose for our lives, for why we were created, why God brought us uh, into this world and why he has bestowed his grace 
upon us. And we've been looking at that and how he envisions us and how he empowers us in order to do his own gracious will. And that's fantastic and that is so important and it is something I trust that many of us are now on that journey uh, to discover completely what he wants to do in our lives. However, there are those times when we can be left wondering just where we're heading. There are those times, as we said this morning, we're at a crossroads and we're not really sure, we're not really clear in what God is doing or wants to do in our lives. In fact, you could get to the point and you say, Lord, what on earth are you really doing? Why are you permitting this to happen to me? I have to confess that there have been many times like, uh, like that that has happened in my life where I've been left wondering, I've been sure that God has been leading me and guiding me and then all of a sudden something happens and you say, Lord, is this really part of your plan? Is this really part of your purpose? And we start to question, we might even start to doubt. We, we can get confused with what is happening in our lives when we're wondering what he's doing. In fact, you could get to the point that Jonah got to, where you become angry. And maybe tonight I'm actually speaking to somebody who in deep down in their heart, they may be angry with what God has done or is doing in their lives at this time. Now we're looking at a very serious uh, subject tonight. We're, we're looking at a very personal and yet a very common subject. And that is the struggles we have of living by faith. The struggles, because it is a struggle. And we want to learn some of the lessons uh, which are very obvious here from this man Jonah. We want to look at this through Jonah's eyes. And we're going to do a quick uh, review of uh, the book so that we know what's happening in chapter 4. And if we go back to chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, you can keep them open there. Uh, in chapter 1, we find that Jonah receives a call from God. And God obviously confronts him and uh, brings to him quite clearly uh, a mission which he wants him to go on. And that mission was to go to Nineveh and to preach his word because Nineveh was a very evil and a very sinful city. And God said that he wanted to bring his judgment uh, upon them. And so he calls Jonah uh, to do this. It was very clear. It was very decisive. And uh, Jonah receives this from God. But he decides instead of fulfilling that call. He decides instead to go on a Mediterranean cruise. He wants to take a ship and, and go in the opposite direction in the Mediterranean. And oftentimes you find this because when you look at uh, uh, chapter 1, you find that he goes down to Joppa and he finds a ship already. And it seems convenient. It just seems to be ready for him uh, to take this direction. Instead of obeying God, he's prepared to go in this uh, direction. However, God sends a storm and uh, the ship gets into trouble and the sailors that are on board, they don't understand this. They're rather superstitious so they think there's a reason for this uh, and they start to question themselves and they start to 
question Jonah. And in the end, Jonah has to admit that he's the problem. He has to admit that he's running from God uh, and that this is a judgment. And uh, therefore, uh, he has to bear that guilt. And he tells them, just throw me overboard. Just let me die. Just get rid of me and uh, you will be safe. So in the end, in chapter 1, they throw him overboard. And then you have that uh, miraculous event when God uh, saves Jonah by bringing along a huge fish which swallows this man. And that's where we are in chapter 1. When you come into chapter 2, you start to find out what's happening to Jonah himself within the fish. And you find that uh, he's coming, uh, as it were, to his senses. And he starts in chapter 2 to repent to God. He starts to open up his heart and in his life. And he tells God how how wonderful he is, how majestic, how mighty he is. Uh, And uh, he comes not only to repent but confess and commits himself afresh to God. Knowing that God alone is his salvation. And he's got to trust entirely in him. And then what we find is that the fish, under God's command, vomits Jonah up on dry ground. And that's where we find him in chapter 2. When we come into chapter 3, we find that God again calls Jonah, in the same way he does in chapter 1, he gives him the call to go to Nineveh, do the same thing, preach the word of God against their sinfulness, uh, against all their evil ways. But this time, Jonah obeys. This time he's listening. He's been through this whole experience in chapter 1 and 2, and now he obeys, and he goes and he preaches. But what we find is this, that Nineveh repents of their ways, their evil ways, And God in his mercy to them does not bring the destruction which he said he was going to do. He was going to judge them and so God doesn't do that. He holds that back. And then we find that Jonah was angry at God's actions. Because you see, God didn't act the way that Jonah wanted him to act. God didn't just come uh, and do as Jonah wanted him to do. He, he had gone, he had preached to Nineveh, but God didn't do what Jonah desired and expected because he was looking for punishment. He was looking for judgment. He was looking for God to do what he said he was going to do. And Jonah finds himself very angry inside. In a nutshell, What we find here is that Jonah was upset, more than upset, he was very angry because of God's actions at that time. And you may be here tonight, in fact we all find ourselves in these situations, you may be here tonight. And you were expecting God to act in a certain way, in a certain situation that you found yourself in recently. And he hasn't done so. He he hasn't 
acted the way that you thought he would act. You haven't, he hasn't brought about this set of circumstances that you were looking for. You prayed to him. And as far as you were concerned, you believed you were walking in fellowship with him. But God hasn't done what you thought he would do and what you were praying that would happen. In other words, your prayer is still unanswered. And I think if we had an opportunity tonight to open ourselves up and say, do you have a situation you've been praying for, you've been looking for, and still it's unanswered? I'm quite sure that the majority of us would would have to put our hands up. In fact, some of us might go further and say, well, not only that, the situation that I'm praying about has not only not been answered, it's actually got worse. It's a little bit like what happened when Moses was called by God at the burning bush uh, to lead Israel into all the purposes and plans that God had for them. And when he goes to Pharaoh and tells him to let the people go, instead of releasing them, Pharaoh makes it harder on the people. So here we have Moses doing what God asked him to do, but the situation gets worse. And sometimes we find ourselves in that situation. We're praying, we're earnestly seeking God's face, but the situation seems to be deteriorating. And you can even get to the point where you're up against a dead end and there's no light in the tunnel. And you're crying out to God and you're longing that God will, will do something. And you're saying to yourself, what is God doing? Are you in that situation tonight? Or have you been in that situation where you have these deep and terrible questions in your mind about what God is doing? You see, when you're struggling by faith with God, you find when you turn to Scripture that it is quite common. You're not alone, by the way, if you find yourself wondering what God is doing in your life. Just now, you're not, you're not alone. I could turn you to, to other folk in the Bible, men like Habakkuk, just a, a, a couple of books over from Jonah. You have this great prophet, Habakkuk, and he calls out to God and he says, Lord, must I, how long must I call for help, but you do not listen to me? I cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict and it's abounding. And he goes on in that first chapter and he says, Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. So why do you tolerate this treacherous nation? Why are you silent when the wicked are swallowing up those who are more righteous than themselves. What was happening? Habakkuk couldn't understand what God was doing. It seemed to be contrary to what he thought God should do. Oh, we could turn also to Jeremiah, one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet. Do you know that there came a point in Jeremiah's ministry when he was so confused with what God was doing 
he actually called God a deceitful brook. He said, you're like a mirage in the desert. I think there's water and I bow down to drink and all I get is a mouthful of sand. That's very hard talk. That's coming straight from the shoulder from Jeremiah as he struggles with his walk of faith. Why doesn't God do something against these treacherous nations? Why doesn't he show his power? Oh, there's another man who had equally a problem when it came to wondering what God was doing, and that was Elijah. I, I just love looking at, at Elijah because he reminds me so much of, of myself. Because when you look at Elijah, you find that one moment he's, he's on top of Mount Carmel and he's praising God and he's having a wonderful time showing the majesty and the power of God. And then you turn to the next chapter and you find him in a cave just saying, God, Lord, let me die. I'm a failure. I've messed up big time. They're not listening to me. Just, just let me die. Just take me out of it all. And God has got to say to him, what are you doing here in this state, Elijah? And in the cave, he gives Elijah that, that fresh vision. A vision of himself in all his majesty when he, he brings a mighty wind. And uh, Elijah thinks, wow, this is what I need, God. This is what needs to happen to these people. They've got to see your power. That will humble them. But we read the Lord was not in the wind. And then there was a great earthquake. And again, Elijah is, is moved with great power when he sees this. That will really humble them. Lord, let this loose. But it says God was not in the earthquake. And then the fire, a great fire comes and scorches the earth. And again, Elijah is uplifted. And he says, wow, this is it. Well done. But no, God was not in the fire. In fact, he wasn't in any of these powerful manifestations. And then there's a still, small voice. And Elijah knew he was in the presence of God. And he humbles himself before God. Are you struggling with what God is doing or even allowing to happen in your life and there doesn't seem to be any sense? You're struggling. That's where Jonah found himself. And when he was called this second time to go and preach God's judgment against Nineveh for its evil was, he's called to preach to a great city. It, it describes the city here. Tells us that it would take three days to go through this city. This was a, a big, mighty city. And Jonah starts to go through it. He starts his preaching. He has an outreach mission, as it were. He, he sets on an evangelistic task and he really preaches God's word and God's grace and God's judgment upon their sin against Nineveh. And he does that for 40 days. Not amazing? For a month, he's preaching solidly the truth about God's imminent judgment. 
because of their sinfulness. Now this would have been physically and emotionally as well as spiritually draining for Jonah as he preaches in this way. Because he's preaching passionately. He's preaching sincerely and faithfully. And after he preaches, he retires from the city and waits to see what's going to happen. Now, what happens in Nineveh whenever Jonah preaches in this way? Uh, We read there in chapter 3. Because there's clearly a visitation from the Lord. And from verse 6 in chapter 3 we read this. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion And did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. From the king to the lowest peasant. They start repenting before God. They start confessing their sins. They believe what God has said through Jonah. And in their misery they turn to God. And and they repent of all their evil doings. And they change their way of living. Their actions actually demonstrated how deep the truth from Jonah had penetrated into the heart. I mean, God sees this. He sees this godly sorrow and this repentance. He shows them grace. He shows them mercy. And he forgives. And instead of judgment, he brings grace. You see, the Bible tells us that when we seek God with all of our heart, We will find him. And maybe again tonight someone here needs to know that. That even in the midst of the darkness that you may be in, as you seek with all your heart, you will certainly find the Lord. But Jonah, when we get into chapter 4, Jonah is far from happy. And he reveals his confused thoughts here. And we might say, well, why was he Why was he so angry? He was successful. It was a great mission as it were. Was he embarrassed to face the people? Was he embarrassed because he had preached with such fervent passion that God was going to judge him and and now God didn't judge him? Did that put him in an embarrassing situation? Was he thinking more about himself than about Nineveh? But what we have to remember here, as far as Jonah is concerned, he's certainly in bitterness and he's certainly filled with fear. But it's important for us to know that during this time, as far as Nineveh was concerned, they were not only the enemies of Israel, they had violently oppressed the nation of Israel. 
And when God commands Jonah to go and to preach, he's terrified. He's going to do a, a, a seemingly impossible thing. And all the reality of Nineveh and their wickedness would have come before him and he would be naturally terrified to go into that situation and to preach. It's a daunting task. But I believe we've got to go deeper than that as far as Jonah's concerned. There is something even deeper here that has made him angry and that is the fear of triumph. Because you see, Jonah knows that if he succeeds in winning the Ninevites over to the Lord, they will be shown mercy. They will be shown grace from God. He knows this abundant grace that God will give to a non-deserving people. And what Jonah was looking for here was not grace to be shown. He was looking for judgment. He was looking for, for punishment. And that's why chapter 4 opens up uh, with Jonah giving God a I told you so speech. He says, oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was at home? This is why so quickly I, I had to flee from Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending cal cal calamity. Jonah says to God, Lord, I knew this would happen. Because that's part of my upbringing. You see, Jonah had been taught this from his earliest days. That God was a gracious God. That God was a compassionate God. That God was a loving God. You see, back over in Exodus chapter 34 and verse 6 is one of the many passages we get of this in the scriptures. We read this. When Moses was before God, it says, he passed in front of Moses. This is when Moses was also uh, in the cleft of the rock and God was passing by proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love, and faithfulness. Jonah knew that. And you can find the same references in Nehemiah. You can find it throughout the Psalm. Psalm 86, 15. Psalm 103, verse 8. Joel chapter 2. The same identical wording. God is a gracious God. God is a loving God. God will forgive. Jonah understands the Lord's character. He knows the Lord is faithful, has been faithful to the Israelites, has been faithful to him. And this is his problem. He remembers the fish. He remembers the prayer. And still, still his heart is small. He doesn't want God to extend the same love to his enemies as he has received in his own life. God has been compassionate to him. In fact, we find when we're reading the scriptures in the Old Testament that 39 times in the Old Testament we find this word that God is full of grace and compassion towards those who turn to him. But friends, tonight 
what we have to remember is this. That though God's grace has been mentioned and seen in the Old Testament time and time again, it is not until we come to the New Testament and to the revelation of Jesus Christ, his son, that we see the full extent of his grace. Because John tells us, doesn't he, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. From the fullness of his grace have we all received one blessing upon another. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Oh, you and I tonight, when we stand before that old rugged cross, when we hear again those words of Jesus as he's hanging on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Oh, that's grace. That's grace. Here is love fast as an ocean. This is amazing grace. This is his mercy being shown to us at the cross. But you see, when you stand at the cross, you not only see his grace, you see his judgment. You see that judgment against sin because grace is not cheap. Jesus had to die on the cross. He had to shed his precious blood. He was the sin offering in your place and in mine. And because of God's love and grace, when we read in scripture, God is not willing that any should perish but come to eternal life. This is the God we're talking about tonight. The God who is full of grace. Right to the very end, as we see when the thief on the cross turns to him and said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, even today, you'll be with me in paradise. Oh, here's a God who supplies grace upon grace. Because Jonah starts to experience it again in chapter 4 because though he is so angry and he takes himself off to a quiet place we find him experiencing God's grace again God caring for him even in his rebellious state I love that even though he's angry with God God is still showing him grace upon grace because of the hot sun God allows the vine to grow and he brings the miraculous plant to grow over Jonah and to shade him from the sun and we read that Jonah is happy you see God's grace is always present even when we fail and when we fall when we ourselves are not gracious towards God he, his grace never fails us do you remember Thomas he was a man who, of course, denied that Jesus could be alive and told the, the, the other disciples who were giving their testimony about it. He said, no, I'll never believe that. He couldn't take it in. And then a following week, Jesus comes. And he says, Thomas, don't be disbelieving. Put your finger into my hands, into the nail prints. Put your hand into my side. Stop. 
disbelieving and start believing. Oh, he did it also with Peter. Peter, the man who denied the Lord with such curses and and violence and passion, denied that he ever knew him when Jesus was being judged. And then he goes out and breaks his heart, weeps because Jesus had already told him that he would do this, but he didn't believe him. And then when Jesus rises from the grave, not day of resurrection, he sends this word, Tell my disciples and Peter that I go before them into Galilee. Oh, don't forget Peter. He failed miserably. He messed up big time, but I love him. And I want to share my grace with him. Remember to tell Peter. You see, Jesus is always doing that. Even when we let him down, even whenever Jonah gets to this point, God still shows him his grace. But the next day, of course, We read that a worm comes along and eats the vine and the vine dies. And this makes, of course, Jonah again extremely angry. See, he's happy when he's receiving the grace himself. But all of a sudden he becomes angry again and God has to say to him, What are you angry over this plant for? It was just a mere plant. You had no reason to be angry. I was the one who provided it. I tended it. You had nothing to do but simply enjoy it. Whereas Nineveh, vast population, 120,000 needy people. Should I not respond to them in grace? And here's Jonah facing up to himself. What's going on? He's looking for judgment. He can't forget this people. He can't forget the past. And God has got to speak into his heart, his grace. And maybe I'm speaking to somebody here tonight. And you've enjoyed God's grace. You've you've benefited. You've been blessed by God's grace. And yet in your heart, There's something from the past which you cannot get around. You haven't forgiven someone for something that was done. And it hurt you deeply and hurt you greatly. And you're wanting not forgiveness. You're wanting judgment on that person. That's similar to Jonah. He's receiving the grace himself, but he's not prepared to let that grace flow from him into someone else's life like the Ninevites. Is that where you find yourself? So when we come to this last chapter, knowing what has gone on before, what are the lasting truths? What are the principles that we can learn from Jonah? Well, I believe that we could say, well, the Lord knows exactly where you are and how you are. His eye is upon you. He knows exactly what state you're in, what the relationship is between you and him as well as with with others. We can't hide with God. We can't pretend with God. And secondly, he also knows our hearts, whether we're hard and cold like Jonah Towards those who have done us wrong, 
Maybe tonight you're still like him, struggling with this from the past. Don't let anything in the past keep you from what God wants to do in the present. God wants to pour more grace into your life. He wants to reveal to you his plan and his purpose for your life. Don't let anything in the past stop that. Open yourself to God and let him take control because God can expand your heart. God can take away that that stony heart. That's what we read in Ezekiel. I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Oh, we need that grace. We need Jesus to do a new thing in our lives. We need to be turned around. We need to have this confrontation with God because he knows what you have need of. He knows your desires. I was going to sing a, or have us sing a, a song tonight, but uh, we didn't do that. But let me read to you some of the words of it. It's number 833. This is what we read. God of grace, I turn my face to you, I cannot hide. My nakedness, my shame, my guilt are all before your eyes. Strivings and all anguish, dreams and rags lie at my feet. And only grace provides the way for me to stand complete. And your grace clothes me in righteousness. And your mercy covers me in love. Your life adorns and beautifies. I stand complete in you. You see, God wants to answer our prayers. And he will. He will answer them graciously. Sometimes he says yes. Sometimes he says no. And sometimes he says not yet. Just trust me. He'll always answer you lovingly. Because he is something better and bigger than you could ever imagine. He has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for you to fulfill. And he wants you to enter into it. But we can't trust him. Especially where we cannot trace him. Where we can't see what he's actually doing. Trust the Lord. I don't know what you're going through just now. And maybe it's confusing. But I simply am... Lord, you trust him. Walk with him. Let him show you his love, his mercy, his grace, and use you. Because his ways, says the Bible, are always perfect. Always. He loves you dearly. He knows you intimately. And he waits for you patiently. So at the end of this day, when we've been thinking about God's purposes and God's plan for our lives, are you able to come and simply say, Lord, have your own way. Have your own way in me. And then see what he will not do. See how he will come and take you and Revive you and refresh you and expand your vision so that you indeed will be 
in the very center of his will, enjoying his blessing. Oh, let us learn the lessons from Jonah tonight and bless the Lord for his compassion. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this little book of Jonah. And Lord, we wouldn't judge Jonah because we can find ourselves in similar circumstances when we would want you to do something which is not right. Where you want to show grace, we might want to show judgment. Forgive us, Lord. And help each of us this night to come again and to know that you have a perfect plan for each of our lives. You want to take us and to use us. You want to change us and to make us more like Jesus. Oh, Father, we pray that this will indeed be the case as we leave this place tonight. Help us, Lord, to let you have your way. So bless your word and bless us, your people, through that word. For Christ, our Redeemer's sake, we ask you. Amen. Amen. We're going to uh, sing in closing tonight number 914 if you're using uh, the books. Only by grace can we enter, only by grace can we stand, not by my human endeavor but by the blood of the Lamb. 914.
And so, Father, it is indeed into that grace that we stand this night. And it's in that grace that we would go forward into all of our tomorrows. And as we stand at the beginning of a new week, Lord, we just commit ourselves and commit that week to you. Wherever we are, whatever we're involved in, Lord, we pray that we will be your men and your women. We will be the person that you want us to be. That we will show your grace in every situation that we find ourselves in. So bless us, Lord, and bless your word. And grant that your name and you alone will be honored and glorified through our lives. For we ask this, giving thee our thanks for your goodness to us. Part us now in your blessing, that blessing of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Be ours until Jesus comes again. And then it will be forevermore. Amen.